Welcome to Church Unscripted, a ministry of Brookside Church. Uh, hit the subscribe button because we want you to get this content every week as it comes in. But also, um, you can hit the notification bell so immediately when it goes online, you'll get a notification. Um, and like, if you like the podcast or you like some of these videos, um, please like that. But this week, we have Pastor Eric. Pastor David, um, Eric, you just talked about a passage in Luke chapter 10 that has been, I think, profoundly impactful on anyone that's read it before because of how we identify with some of the characters. Um, can you kind of give us maybe a summary or insight into Sunday, um, what you talked about? Uh, absolutely. And, and the impact has not always been positive because <laughs> when, when a lot of the church, especially if people consider themselves to be task-oriented, kind of busy, responsible people. Uh, then they come to the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10, verse 38 through 42. And if they in any way identify as Martha, who's apparently the more responsible of the two in the story, then they immediately feel guilty because it feels like being a responsible person like Martha is, is contrary to being a spiritual follower of Jesus. And so if Mary is the one that was commended for sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him, while it feels like she was ignoring responsibility of preparing for dinner and so forth, uh, then it's almost like if we're going to be like Mary and that is sit at the feet of Jesus and listen, mm-hmm. then we necessarily have to ignore and avoid responsibility that just keeps bearing down on us. So we really come to this um, uh, story with confusion, I think, and it's, and it's difficult to leave this story without feeling guilty in some way. And so my hope is that as I walked through the story, I was able to recognize that Jesus is not asking Martha to be less uh, responsible, and he's not asking Mary to be less yeah. spiritual. I think what he's doing is he's combining both the spiritual commitment of Mary to the responsibility of Martha and saying they're not separate. They're not mutually exclusive. What they are is, is when you go into responsibility, bring Jesus who grounds you into that responsibility so it doesn't overwhelm you, bring anxiety and worry and fear like it did uh, with Martha. So it was very much a protection story rather than this, this story of, of shame and guilt because we're not spending enough time reading our Bible as we think we should. So hopefully that's the message that, that people came away and there's, from. And there's a balance with that too. So has to be. So I really, my, my first question is how can we bring, you talked about the power, presence, and person of Jesus. How do we bring that into our work and daily tasks? So, you know, you, you just talked about the people that are very task oriented. So it's not really to shame them, but it's how do we bring that together? That, that's a good question. So uh, that, that's far more easier said than done, what I've discovered. In fact, I've had a few people come up to me and say, you know, what do I do with this? And one of the recommendations I make is, you know, before you enter that difficult period, whether it's a project or cleaning house, whatever it is, just spend a moment and pray and say, God, go with me into this. And I pray that you give me peace through all this. And people have said, you know, I've done that. But it's not like this overwhelming sense of peace and calm and comfort just came over me. No, no, no. Sometimes they missed it altogether. And I'm not sure exactly why that is. And so I think perhaps what it means to be grounded in Jesus, the person, presence, and power of him, uh, perhaps might be related to your personality. Certain personalities get triggered differently than others. Mm. Certain personalities experience anxiety differently than others. Mm. And so you're going to have to learn based upon your relationship with Jesus, what does it look like for your personality to ground itself yeah. in the person, presence, and power of Jesus? For me, uh, if I, before I ever go into sermon prep, I've got to spend time praying because if I don't, then the sermon more often than not becomes more about me than Jesus. Right. 
and I end up becoming more sarcastic than I ought to be and it becomes inappropriate. And so I think what happens is when I pray before I go into the responsibility, I don't get distracted by things that are gonna turn yeah. the responsibility in a different, less appropriate mm -hmm. direction. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, that's okay. Good. When what you asked you that question, I was thinking about how often we tend to separate the sacred and the secular or like we, we kind analogy. of create yeah. that like dichotomy between the two and I I think as as spiritual beings we could say that everything is is sacred everything is spiritual and so uh something that may help is like sometimes we have to do things that we don't want to do but we can still recognize like this is a spiritual act and so I can pursue the power presence and person of Jesus through all of this because every area of life is spiritual it mm -hmm. is sacred um and I think maybe culture by, you know, we have that, that divide of sacred and secular. I think maybe that has influenced our minds in some of this too. So when, when Jesus says, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect, the word does not mean sinless. Right. It doesn't mean never make a mistake. Uh -huh. What it means is complete and integrated. Mm -hmm. And so the picture that Jesus has for us is this integrated life yeah. where our work and our leisure and our um, relationships, our thought patterns, all of that is integrated, including our spiritual walk with yeah. Jesus. So you can't separate the two. Right. And we're not uh, perfect at it every time. Well, no, no, not yeah. at all. Not so at all. I think of it a little bit like this. So if you're bringing the power presence and person of Jesus into your life, um, let's just throw out a scenario, taking out the trash. Mm. So if my wife asked me to take out the trash and this is how I respond, this is not modeling that. <sighs> I guess so. And I walk yeah, out and a huff. Temper tantrum, that's yeah, right. I walk out and a huff, like, I guess I'll do that. Or if I just go, yeah, I'll do that, you know, like totally different response, but really both of those, you're doing your work, right? Mm. You're doing your daily task or whatever, you know, in our case, trash is weekly or whatever. But, um, but I think doing the right thing and having the right attitude and presence is completely different. But, so like, there's a lot of people that do the right thing, yeah. but you don't want to be around them because they're in a huff the, all the yep. time. Right. Yep. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. so my kids, like my kids would respond, you know, um, sometimes they'll respond and go, no. And I'm like, what'd you say? <laughs> I think I've heard <laughs> your kids say that. Exactly. Yeah, I'm exactly. Like, what I'm did like, you say? I'm like, what? So, you know, then you have a conversation about that. Yeah. What does that look like? Or even, you know, I say to my kids, like we, we pray on the way to school every day, right? And sometimes they're in a mood where they all argue about who gets to pray in a bad way. Like, no, I prayed yesterday. And I'm like, do you realize you're entering the presence of God? So then I get in this whole like no, preaching at them. Yeah. I'm like preaching at them. Like, uh, like, you know, so I think, I think there is something that it's not just about what we're doing. It's about how we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. And I think that's really the key so what you said, like it is different for every person. Like yeah. for you, what grounds you in that sermon prep is praying first. Yeah. Um, there's some scenarios where maybe you don't have that moment. You got to like shoot from the hip because it's coming at you real quick. And I think, I think taking time and having a measured response is usually the better response when it comes to grounding us with the power and presence and person well, of Jesus. I, you're, you're I thinking just of had a, a moment like that with the Lord on Friday because it's the beginning of fall and... We, a couple years ago, really prayed for a house with lots of trees and shade <laughs> because we wanted our kids yeah. to- Don't ever pray for that. I had one of those. And, and, okay, and then all right, now all right. it's fall and uh, I regret the prayer. That's and, right. You know. God was but just I, laughing yeah, at you the so whole time. I'm, so, yeah, so I, on Friday, you know, I, I need to mow the yard and 
start cleaning up leaves because they're already falling. But every time you clean them up, you know they're not. They're already gone. They're already, they're already coming back. Back, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I was just working in the yard, and I was frustrated. Like I was just like, why am I doing this? I should just wait and let it all fall, not mow my yard, all these things. And I was so frustrated. And I think I was mowing my backyard. I mowed it like three times to get all the leaves mulched up and everything. And like on the third time through, it was like I was I was I was mowing and then all of a sudden it just like I stopped. And I'm like, I get to do this. Like I the Lord has called us all to work. I mean, that's all the way Genesis worked the ground. And he's given me the ability to do this. Like, wow, what an honor to be able to have a space that the Lord has blessed me with to be able to work. But I'm also upset because I'm having to work it. You know what? Well, well, so it's a balance of I have to, I get to. Right. Like, what I have to, I get to, I have to, I get to. And I, I just had that experience on Friday and like, it's... But it's what if you what if you don't want like, what if you don't want to choose get to that day? Right. That's I'm just throwing that out there. I mean Yeah, it's tough. Like I I don't know how to make that mental switch other than just continuing to remind yourself of like this is a blessing. Like to have work is a blessing. Or to have to go into a meeting is a blessing. Whether or not like however you look at it, like it's a it's an opportunity for you to connect with people or to mm-hmm to do a job or to encounter, I don't know. So oftentimes I think like what you're recommending is, is the way Jesus steps in um, and grounds us is not necessarily changing the circumstances by, but by giving us a better perspective. Right. And so you still had to take care of those leaves, man. Right. Uh, And your family was watching the whole time. And I don't know if they could see it, but, eventually they'll notice probably this change in perspective of I'm frustrated and I'm just in a bad mood. Because I started dancing. Okay, (laughs) I'm not going to do it. (laughs) You're like, because I saw them watching (laughs) me. So then I was like, oh, I'm going to make them laugh. Who dances while mowing? I was doing like little jumps. That's why you had to go three times because it wasn't cut even, right? Now your backyard is is surrounded by a fence so nobody could see you do that, right? Yeah, yeah. I broke in a few times. I wouldn't be surprised. But I mean, that perspective shift happened to me actually last night. And here's what I'm realizing. A lot of the hospitality that we're studying in this series, it very much includes the way we relate and the way we perceive other people and the world around us. But more often than not is, is more relegated to our own family. And so as fathers in the home, we have the opportunity with the right perspective uh, to show the right kind of hospitality to our family. And this happened last night. Um, it's, it's actually pretty late at night. It's about 9.30 in, in the evening. And, and we're both, Heather and I are both kind of tired for the day, but she still has chapel she has to get ready for, for at school. And she's got to send that off in the morning to the, the tech team at, at school to get that rendered and everything. And, and we still had a, a sink that had dishes left to be taken care of. And so at 9.30 at night, she's like, hey, uh, can you take care of those dishes? And I'm like, it's 9.30 at night. I want to watch it, YouTube. Wait, wait, you know? wait, wait, wait. Is this kind of like football yeah, and cooking dinner? I feel like this yeah. is the illustration in the sermon all over again. It very well may be. So in my head, I'm thinking, why is she asking me to do this this late? This is kind of chill time. And so I had a little bit of a bad attitude. And then I remembered my own sermon, which I preached the very day. And I'm thinking, okay, I need to have a better perspective. And this is an opportunity to serve my wife and take one more thing off of her list yeah. that, that gives her anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully that was one example of how I started off uh, without Jesus grounding me. And then hopefully that's an example of him coming in uh, to do that. 
So, so let me pivot a little bit because Sunday yeah. I had people walk up to me after service and talk about this one specific issue. So I want to ask a question, but I know that people want to hear more about this. Okay. So how does your work define your identity? And as a part of that, do you, how do you find it difficult to separate your worth from your accomplishment? Oh, good question. I would, I would say that the question itself is not the right question. Okay. I would say that the question is not, how does your work define your, your identity? It, it never should. Your work defines your purpose. Jesus defines your identity. Um, so I think there's a, there's a significant difference between those, right? So if I say I have a, an identity in Jesus, but you never experience your purpose, then there's a massive disconnect. Mm. So your identity in Jesus always leads to your purpose, which will lead you to your work. And your identity you always have. As a follower of Jesus. And your yeah. work may shift. It could shift. Your could purpose change. can shift. Yeah. I mean, I think, of, I think of people going from, you know, you're not married to you're married, yep. to you have kids, to you have grandkids. You know, those, that's a purpose change, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, essentially, in a functional sense, but it's the same with careers and things like that. So, so the second part, how do you, how do you find it difficult to separate your worth from your accomplishments? Do you see in our culture? I don't think that's easy at all. I don't, how could you do that? <laughs> that's what I was going to say. To be human is to feel that like pressure of, mm -hmm. of fighting the, like we, we always re reward the people who do really well, like the, ever, ever since kids are little. Mm -hmm. So they, they define their identity and their worth by, do, did I get that trophy? Did I win that medal? Did I, you know, perform this way? Uh, mm -hmm. It's really hard to break that. I say if you're under the age of 30, maybe that's not even, maybe that's still, still young and too young. Maybe until you're under the age of 50, I don't think you can genuinely get to the point where you say, all of my worth is only in Jesus and none of my accomplishments. Because I think as you're young and you're trying to prove yourself and accomplish things, you cannot escape that. But I think eventually part of the Christian maturation process is we get to a place where Paul says, you know what, let me tell you about my pedigree. Let me show you my resume. He yeah. says, I was born in the right tribe at the right time. And he right had everything. Yeah. I have this, 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 and this. And then at the end of it, he says, but you know what? I consider all of that junk. The only thing that is it's worthwhile to me now is to know Christ and him crucified. And I'm like, wow, I don't think I'm there yet. But if you can get there, I, I suspect that you would actually be more accomplished if your accomplishments didn't define your worth. Hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know if, I, I mean, my first thought is I agree. I don't know if age is even a... I, I a don't know. I don't thing. know. Because like, I mean, I know like, I, I'm sure there's plenty of even older people that are still struggling with that like not finding their worth in their accomplishment and some and and some people that are older i've heard them say like am i worth nothing because i didn't accomplish much mm -hmm. and so i mean i think that's honestly that's just the wrestle of i would say pride throughout an entire lifetime i don't know if you can ever really arrive I think well, you can get close it, 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 going back to your your kind of idea of holistic like be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I think in some ways the, our worth being defined by our accomplishments. I think when you, you, we've all met someone and maybe we've done this ourselves and we make a list of what we've accomplished, you know, Oh, I've done this and I've done that. I've done this. And the more you talk about that, the more you start believing that that defines who you are. Mm -hmm. 
And um, some of the most humble people, but the most accomplished people I've ever met tend to be the people that you have no idea what they've done until you start talking to them and you ask them a ton of questions and you dig it out of them. And so if you're the person that's just like always talking about what you've accomplished, Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's maybe a litmus test to figure out where you're at spiritually to say, oh, well, yeah, you have done these things, Mm -hmm. but you know, like maybe there's a greater greater goal here if you're not lifting people up by saying what you've accomplished Mm. because it really is it turns the focus back on you I think that's really hard because I mean how many of us have spent years of training to get into our careers or something that is difficult and it defines us in some way Um, like we say I am this you know on Sunday I had had shared at the end I said you know how many of you have been asked what you do for a living and then that becomes who we are and we get lost sight of our identity in Christ and I think in the purest sense uh, it's more defined by um, spiritual maturity that we get to that point where it's less so that. Um, but it's very hard because I think uh, like if you're looking at your soul, you can't really separate your accomplishments from like who you are mm-hmm. in some ways. Like it's very hard. And I think when we get to heaven, we're going to realize that that's kind of a mystery. Well, you know, one of the things that like. scripture says about what one of the first things we're going to do when we get to heaven is we're gonna take this crown of righteousness that we're told about, we're gonna get as followers of Jesus. And some people say, you know, you're gonna have certain jewels in your crown because of certain accomplishments. The first thing we're gonna do is just take it off and throw it at the feet of Jesus. So it doesn't so, even matter. No, the, first, <laughs> the first thing we're gonna do in heaven is take all of our accomplishments, yeah. even though they're fully recognized by God himself and says, you know what? These are nothing compared Stop to Stop saying, that, acting like Ecclesiastes, man. Come Sorry. on, <laughs> everything is meaningless. No, no, nothing matters. no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I'm, but I think there's some wisdom to that. Is the sense that, yes, there is a purpose for doing that, but the motivation it might be our motivation is different because our accomplishments are for God's glory and not for our own. So, so you so. say that, and I, I get this picture of Mary and Martha back in my mind, and I'm like, so should we just be like Mary if it's just all gonna be at the feet of Jesus anyways? Do you know what I mean? Like it can almost uh, present. Uh, maybe some laziness, like a, a tendency to be lazy, because it's like, well, it doesn't matter. So, well, I'm not going to. Okay. I'm not going to be hospitable because at the end of the day, like how, you know what so, I'm saying? So, like, so, so a further a further extent of that is in the Old Testament. It talks about how, like, you know, or actually New Testament it talks about how if you can't provide for your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Is the context, mm-hmm. and so in some sense. Like you should work hard. That that yeah, that yeah. verse is a bludgeon against laziness. Yeah. Okay, right? But the reality is but the this context. Is laziness towards like I know the the context mm-hmm. though does not is is attacking a laziness as far as your purpose and not a, attacking a laziness in in regards to say your work or presence with Jesus. Yeah. And so that's the difference. Is there? There's a little bit of nuance, mm-hmm. but. I mean, the, the, the people that I know who, at least to me, are the most spiritually mature followers of Jesus are those who I also admire for their work ethic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've never met somebody who is spiritually mature and are lazy. Mm-hmm. But there, there's something else about the story that we probably did not take into account. And that is the specific context of verse 38 through 42. I mean, the reality is um, Jesus was the one who set Mary free from this lifestyle of prostitution, right? I mean, she's the one who poured her her tears on him, wiped him with her hair and then poured the oil on her. I mean, Jesus was a big deal, not just to the population, but even more so to Mary. How many of, how many of us, if the most, if our favorite celebrity walked into our house 
and started talking? Would we say, glad you're here. I'm going to go to the other room and ignore you. I mean, there's the reality of Jesus is the most important person in in Mary's life. Mm -hmm. And why would she take the extra time to go prepare dinner when she has this once in a lifetime opportunity to sit in the living room with you? So let me speculate a little bit. Uh, Let's speculate. Okay, so if Mary had a life of prostitution and was rescued from it, and Martha's the other sister, can you imagine the anger that that statement had? Like, what are you doing, Mary? Oh, I've tried to rescue you out of the man. brothels. I've tried to I've tried to do all this and get and you're just sitting at his feet. Oh. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a whole deeper context there. I, I put think. up all these years with you and yeah. oh, my, dude, that's a nuance I never even considered. It, but like it, Mary's or Martha's obviously the responsible sister. There's no way she was in prostitution. You know who they're I mean, like? Mary and Martha are another version of the prodigal son and the older brother. Yeah, yeah, that's really what it is. Oh my goodness, because I mean, the older brother, just like Martha, was bitter that there's this <laughs> prodigal behavior, blew all of the father's, you know, wealth and everything, right? And and then came back, and all of a sudden he's treated like mm. a son again. Yeah. And so it's almost like Jesus gave us two different similar stories in that context. There, there's a total nuance. So let me ask this question because I it plays off of what we just discussed. How do you reconcile the conflict be, between being spiritual and being responsible? How can you reconcile that? Because I feel like we haven't really touched it deep enough yet. Like, mm. like how do you how do you how do you say, oh, I'm going to be spiritual, but I'm also going to be responsible? Does spirituality or spirituality and say responsibly exclusive? I'm just throwing a lot of thoughts out there. So my thoughts are, <laughs> uh, uh, as I think, the more you grow in your relationship with Jesus, the more you realize that the most responsible that you can be is when you are the most spiritual. Um, because if you are hyper responsible, uh, without being spiritually grounded, you become, um, a workaholic. You have very, very poor work life home balance. Um, you become very sharp. I mean, the people who say, you know, I work 13, 14 hours a day, six days a week. I never see my family. I would never want to be around that person. I mean, sure. You might make millions of dollars in your business, but you're sacrificing your life for the dollar. And that is not an appropriate expression of, of responsibility. Mm. And so Jesus doesn't just create, give us, I mean, this whole thing of like work-life balance, mm. I, I've always had a little bit of a struggle with that because it still keeps the two uh, disintegrated. Mm. Um, but I think in Jesus, again, he integrates everything. And so, yeah. mm. and so it's not like you have to say work, life, home, balance. It's mm. they're integrated together because they're all wrapped up in my so, walk with so Jesus. David, before we go to you, I, I think one of the things that you just described is that total reliance on the Holy Spirit in every situation. Cause you're going, okay. Like I, I feel like in a work week, I'm like, I need to put in this much time, these many hours. And then I start, every, and so I'm like, I got at least that much planned. What I realize is it always goes over that because I'm always like, okay, I'm going to do more. And I think in some ways that's kind of how we approach accomplishments worth all of those. So we, I I would say, at least in American culture, I don't see many people overemphasizing spirituality and mm-hmm. underemphasizing responsibility. That's not very common. Mm-hmm. But we see a lot of people overemphasizing responsibility mm-hmm. and underrepresenting like spirituality yeah. in their life. So mm-hmm. um, you're right about balance because it is all integrated. So I I mean, I don't think there's an answer to this question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why I'm asking it. I don't think there's a, like, this is the way. I think every single one of us has to wrestle with, how do we reconcile this? We have to spend time with the Lord. We have to spend time in silence and solitude and go, okay, what 
where's where's the things that I'm missing here, Lord? Like, um, and be in the Word. So, yeah. but David, no, I was just, I was just reading through this again, and I see the ESV says Martha was distracted with much serving. So it was like she was almost ad- addicted to it. So she was doing too much because she might have been trying to prove her value. And so what Jesus says is that, you know, Martha, Martha, you're anxious about me- and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And so I think what he's saying is, you know, you're, you're distracted with so much serving that you think is your... Uh, like we talked about identity or your value, your responsibility. Um, but those things will come and go. The thing that matters is the spiritual thing yeah. to sit with me. Yeah. Um, and so the priority I think is on, should be on the spiritual, but then that spiritual should then overflow into the serving, into the much serving that, that will come and go. Well, so, I mean, kind of what you're saying is, her addiction was too much serving. That was the problem. It wasn't necessarily that she was serving. Yeah, I think, I, so it's I not, mean, it just seems, it's weird to me. And I, again, I don't know the, the original word there, but it's, it's just interesting to me that they say much serving because like I would just say, Martha was distracted serving. But well, they say much serving, and, which makes it seem like it's almost like she's like, I've got to like, uh, you know, it's just, I got to be busy because then Jesus will know that I love him because I'm doing all Maybe her love language is acts of service. Come on. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, in verse 41, it also uses two words to highlight that. So it's anxious and troubled. And then it says many. Right. And so I think, I think there is a theme there that she's, she's worried about things she doesn't need to worry about. Mm. Um, you know, when uh, Jesus says, well, there's, a sparrow doesn't have to worry about what it's going to eat, right? right? I mean, like, yeah. and then she's like, well, we have to make a four-course meal for Jesus and I'm doing it for Jesus and da-da-da-da. And then, you know, our home life's crazy. You know, yeah. I, I think there is a is problem that with that. Is true in the church? Like, do we get so busy serving that we actually negate the actual spiritual side of life? So we're, we're like, I feel like I've seen a lot of people, even friends that have, become like serveaholics in the church and they're like yes you got to get plugged into a community you got to serve like that's where you experience the presence of jesus and then like you look at their life and you're like i don't know if you've been with jesus and sometimes as like full-time ministry that's hard sometimes yeah to to be busy serving the church and then realizing like, oh, I also need time for my soul with Jesus, right. not right. my soul with Jesus for somebody I, I mean, what, what you're doing is what Jesus described when he said some people like the, the milk versus the meat. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. kind of actually letting other people feed you. It's like you're feeding out of a baby yeah. bottle, right? Yeah. You know, and then there's an opportunity here. There's a feast right in front of you. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think that it's hard. I mean, you said Sunday. I mean, some of us that feel like Martha and I feel like Martha many times is like, we feel guilty because we're like, oh, we're not doing enough. Um, and what I think the identity crisis we have there is that we're more than enough because Jesus already died on the cross. Like the identity found in Christ. Then we start realizing like, I don't have to do anything more my entire life and Jesus would still be satisfied with me. If I get struck down dead today, mm-hmm. Jesus would still find satisfaction in what I've done with my life. Yeah. 
because he loves me and he cares for me. And I, I think sometimes we miss that a little bit. Yeah, Eric, you had a thought. Yeah, I do. And I, th- I think we have to be careful that we don't swing the pendulum to the extreme other side. Because what we've been saying so far is that is that like Martha, we need to be careful not to put all of our eggs, in a sense, in the basket of responsibility and work and neglect our spirituality. Yeah. Um, but there's a flip side of that coin too, the other side of the pendulum. And that is we can ignore responsibility so much and pursue only spirituality. And I think that's dangerous on a couple of fronts um, because the, the th- one of the themes of the New Testament is that faith works. I mean, James talks about it. I mean, and, and it's in first, second, and third John. Um, in fact, even Paul says this. He's, you know, I preached um, your repentance and that you prove your repentance by your works, right? Um, in fact, um, one of the things that Jesus challenges the Pharisees for in the book of John is he, um, he says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And so that verse suggests, you know, spend time with Jesus just like Mary did. But there's also a nuance to that. He says, very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and now has come when the dead, wait a minute, hang on. Wait a minute, I'm on the wrong, hang on a second. Yeah, so the theme is, hang on, let me get back to it. The theme is, if you hear my words and believe me, you will have life. But then he talks Mm -hmm. to the Pharisees and he says this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So the opposite is just as true. If you spend all your time, just study, 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 you can memorize scripture and still miss Jesus. Yeah. So it's not necessarily spend more time reading your Bible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's recognize where is the presence of Jesus at? Yeah. Jesus is as present in scripture and in prayer as he is in work. In fact, right. Jesus says, I have come to do the work that my father is already doing. Yeah. Um, and so if we're not working, yeah. if we're not pursuing responsibility, yeah. we're not where Jesus is. Right. And so the best place to have that intimate connection and unity with Jesus is definitely on your couch in the morning, studying scripture and prayer, but it's also being grounded in Jesus yeah. while you're doing so, your work. So, right? yeah. oh, awkward. <laughs> no, I, I was just thinking, like, it doesn't say, like, Jesus, in my uh, interpretation of this, he's saying, he's not saying don't serve. Yeah. But he's saying that the good portion yeah. will not be taken from her. So it's almost like he's saying like, hey, spend time with me. And then as an overflow, that, yeah. that serving right. happens. Yeah, absolutely. So, so some of what you're saying, Eric, I, I totally connect with. I remember being in seminary and there was these different conferences that they have for Bible scholars, right? And one of them, they're like, oh, we don't go to that one because basically that's all people that study the Bible, but none of them are Christians. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I'm like, what? And it tended to be the one that was the most academic and the most study was put in it. These are people writing books and all this stuff. And I thought to myself, I'm like, how can you be exposed to scripture so much and then completely miss the boat? And sometimes that's really how we sitting in the, the rows of chairs in a church act because we leave Sunday morning and then we're like, well, that, that was a great sermon, man. I'm going to apply that. And like by Tuesday morning, we're like, what was that sermon? Like, and it's really bad. I mean, honestly, like, okay, we're not infected by, uh, infected by scripture. Maybe I'll use a negative to say a positive, but the, the point you're making is you have to be in it consistently. Um, I think of uh, the Pharisees being, uh, when Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and he's like, you're whitewashed sepulchers. Yeah. And I remember one of my first sermons was on that passage and I had made these two cakes. They were white cakes 
And what I didn't tell everyone at the sermon was one of them was filled with dog poop. Okay. Yeah. Eric's eyes just got really big. Can you see the really surprise on his face? Poop? Yeah. It was really filled with dog poop. Did you make it? I made it. Uh, where it, did you dig, get the dog poop? From dogs. Oh my goodness. You <laughs> so the dog part. So, so basically. Well, how, how do you do that? I, I don't know. I'm just, just go up to I'm the, hey, can dis- I have your dog's poop? I'm kind of disgusted right now. It's okay, I was like 19. I thought it was a we're good idea. We're destroying his analogy right now. Aren't <laughs> I thought it was a good idea. No, just, but no, but the, the, Pharisees, the Pharisees were like whitewashed sepulchers. And what the point was, he was saying that basically there's poop inside of you. Yeah. Like you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're garbage. Okay. That is what that scenario was. Like I talked about t- taking out the trash. Like inside of me is garbage because my attitude is garbage. But what's outside? I tell my kids sometimes, and they hate this. I'm like, your attitude stinks like poo doo. Okay, let's just be honest. It does not smell good. Okay, and and usually my youngest is four. He's like, no, I don't. No, I don't. I said, no, you don't smell like that. Your attitude does. And he's like, he has to think. Uh-huh. And he gets like the stinky face, right? Mm. So, it, what my point is, is I think. I think we're talking about an internal transformation rather than an external transformation. And we can externally look like we're really responsible or really spiritual, but we're completely out of balance. So here's, here's my question for both of you. And this is definitely a scenario I've been in myself. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt torn between fulfilling your responsibility or taking time to be spiritual? How did you handle it? Oh, Eric's most, like, oh, most wait. Saturday nights. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, do I preach tomorrow? <laughs> no, no, not that. It's it's more of like, I've only got a couple of hours that, to get this message memorized. And I could spend all those hours practicing, practicing, practicing. Or I could I could spend some time up front just kind of praying over it. Or I could even drive through some neighborhoods and pray over the neighborhoods. Um, and so there's this tension almost every Saturday night. How much of my limited time that I have do I spend on practicing versus praying over it. That's a great example. I mean, David, come on. You, you got to one up me. I mean, there's, I mean, I don't know all the time. I, yeah. I don't know. I think there's, uh, I, I always struggle like, uh, with, with my kids, like in the, like if I'm, if I'm reading scripture, I'm like, well, I, I, I tend to be, and this is just, I tend to be most impatient when I'm reading and studying and the kids like come you know what I mean? So it's Coming like, you. do I, in those moments, do I get frustrated that my time is getting interrupted or do I, or do I take time to just read them what I'm reading and explain what's happening? Um, and those tend to be the better times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I think it's, it's so hard to, to balance that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, even just yeah, like so, mowing the yard, like I'd rather just sit inside and, and read, but I know it's like cool for a couple hours. So, you gotta go, go do yeah, it. Yeah, gotta go mow. But then, and then it's like, well, do I get back to it? I don't know. There's just yeah. So I think I think there's something that you guys just mentioned that I think is a principle we can pull out of this is like um, that there always is going to be a tension between responsibility and spirituality, like and mm-hmm. ba- back and forth. But I think anytime that's out of whack is when we really struggle. And I think that's that's definitely something true of all of us. And that's something Eric, when you were preaching Sunday, I kept thinking of that, like. Okay, so if this is out of balance, this is what it looks like. So um, can we do something different for Church Unscripted today? Sure. Can we do the lightning round? Oh, man. Quick responses, okay? These are a little bit harder questions. I love yes this. Yes and no or just... <laughs> no, yeah, these are not of... yes and no. I, <laughs> okay. I got some questions. Multiple, Multiple choice, yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> how does the... Cons- Who are you asking? Both of us? Both of you guys. 
Okay. It doesn't it really like, matter. Is it like whoever hits the buzzer first or? Uh, I think Eric's going to hit the buzzer first every time. You see my eye? He got he got to me first. Right. See, I pulled that you in there. I had to bring it I up. Had to bring it up. I had to bring it up. Oh, man. We were just playing dodgeball. It's uh -huh. okay. It's okay. Um, how does the concept of hospitality apply in a virtual world where physical presence is limited? I mean, a lot of times hospitality is related to your words. And so, uh, and when you post something, I mean, are you, are you going to be a jerk about it? And mm. are you going to be critical or are you going to be gracious? Because you can do that in person as much as you can do that. No more, so, no more keyboard cowboys, right? No more okay. keyboard. What are, have you, you never, heard that before? I've never, you never heard of keyboard, keyboard warriors, keyboard mm, cowboys are the same of, thing. Ah, forget it. Move on. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Uh, share a personal experience where you witnessed hospitality transforming a difficult situation or relationship. That's not a fast round one. That's like, you got to think about it. <laughs> that's a, this is your turn. Maybe to that's the answer. Oh, what? You saw like, his trick, it's not, didn't you? It's not, it's not common enough. We have to think about it. Mm. So the answer is... Is that a trick question? Maybe we should do more of that. Ooh. Good answer. Oh, All right. Oh, All right. Like that. <laughs> I like that one. Right. Um, how, do we, how can we practice hospitality towards those with different belief systems or political ideologies? Oh, man, that's one difficult. I'll take this one, though. I think it's, it's you don't, <laughs> the whole night is not about politics. And then when they express a view that you don't agree with, you, um, you doesn't mean you have to um, conform your values or voting patterns to theirs, but you can be gracious by allowing them to, you know, do it do what they do in a sense and if they need to change then you let the holy spirit take care of that you mean you don't yell at them and go you can't be a oh yeah whatever yeah. I mean, when, is, when is arguing and debasing somebody for well that that statement just challenged their identity uh-huh because so, they're found so i think the yeah. i think to add on to that it's it's viewing people as their identity as a human being and as mm -hmm. as the imagio day mm -hmm. uh in the image of christ and then those conversations flow from that space. Because you can disagree with somebody, but still see them in the image of Christ mm -hmm. and not challenge their identity. I mean, yeah, we, we were at a conference definitely. this last week with, with one of the instructors who voted completely different than the way I think that both <laughs> you and I vote. Um, and we even got coffee in the mornings with him and we talked about some of this stuff, but we could still sit in the same room with him, uh, even though there is pretty very, very evident disagreements politically between us yeah. and him. Well, we, we didn't take the time to say, how dare you believe that? I'm, I'm leaving, you know? Yeah. So. Well, and I think, I, think that's, I think that's important with hospitality. So that was 45 seconds. Okay. <laughs> All right. So lightning. There, this one's going to be probably a hard one too. Is there a connection between hospitality and forgiveness? How can we extend hospitality to those who have hurt us? I mean, forgiveness is integral to the hospitality that Jesus showed us, right? I mean, that Colossians 1 mm. verse, at one time you were alienated from God, strangers to him and enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death on the cross to present us holy and blameless in his sight. And that forgiveness is all over that. So if it was not, if Jesus, if God did not show us forgiveness, he would not have shown us hospitality. And an aside is there's been many times where I've been hurt, but people didn't even know I was hurt and I still invite them in. Yeah. And that was more me growing or trying to understand that, you know, and that's the way we could approach it as well. Um, can you discuss, this is very, I don't know lightning, if I'd word it this way. Lightning discussion. Uh, no. Discuss the tension between the need for boundaries and the call to hospitality. Oh. There's, there's boundaries. You have to have boundaries in your life, but What's the call to hospitality with that? 
Like, where do you draw the line? Uh, let me give you, I'll give you a scenario and you guys can think for a second. Okay. Scenario is I'm in the grocery store. I've got all four kids with me. My wife's at home doing something and someone stops me, but my kids are literally crawling on me. Mm-hmm. And I really need to give them my attention because I don't necessarily, I'm not around them all week, but there's a person talking to me and they don't know when to stop. It's not that I don't want to talk to them. It's like, can we make this a five minute conversation rather than 30 minutes? Or maybe we can schedule something. Maybe someone from church. Um, What does it look like to have boundaries, but then also... There's certain there's certain tactics that I think I've learned. I don't know if they're always the right tactics uh, to be hospitable to create other opportunity, but to get yourself out of a sticky situation. You can say things like, you know, I really want to hear more about this. Uh, I can't give you my full attention because my kids are around me right now and I've got to be home with these groceries in 10 minutes, you know, but I love to carry this conversation later. Can we set up a time to call, call the office, set up a 30 minute phone appointment and let's have the conversation and yeah. I look forward to it. Yeah. That way that's... you're hospitable, but at the same time you're putting boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I was just trying to put a scenario into it because that question's broad enough that it could be anything that you're setting boundaries about. So, um, okay, you guys, this one you can answer in 30 seconds. How can we cultivate a mindset of hospitality in our everyday lives beyond just planned events or gatherings? That's a 30-second answer? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's like lightning round, but I'm going to ask very few questions. I actually picked all the hard questions yeah. for the lightning round on purpose. So we could cultivate hmm. cultivate a mindset of hospitality. Like we're thinking yep. about hospitality. We're, we're, yep. we're balancing the spiritual, yep. the, the, the responsibility yep. beyond just planned events or gatherings. Uh, I think fundamentally it's considering others higher than yourselves. So uh, if, I'm, if I'm constantly in the spirit of how, how can I view other people more important than me, naturally I'm going to be hospitable even when it's inconvenient or outside of a plan. So remember our conversation last week with Tom Bernardo, we talked a little bit about how some of the, sometimes the most hospitable people are actually the introverts. We talked about a little bit about introverts and extroverts. Um, so keep that in mind when I ask this question, I'll, I'll keep moving. So how can we navigate the tension between being hospitable and protecting our mo- own mental and emotional well-being? What's the balance there? I mean, you got, you got to know your limits. Okay. Like if you want to be hospitable and stuff, it, it might mean that you have somebody over between 6 and 9 p.m. But once 9 o'clock hits, maybe you hit a wall and, and you graciously say, I'm so glad you guys came. I got to get my kids to bed. And so you graciously get yourself out of it. And so it's not like they're staying there until 2 a.m. Yeah. And so even though you want to be hospitable, it doesn't mean that you have to, um, you know, in a sense, break your whatever Right. In order to be hospitable. So, so being, being kind though, being yeah. kind um, does not mean being a pushover or stepped on in that mm-hmm. case. Like you're setting boundaries, like yeah. a, a limit. So is there such a thing as unhealthy hospitality when it comes enabling or codependent with other people? Enabling or codependent? What do you mean by that? Like in terms of hospitality? <laughs> well, so like uh, I had a pastor recently say, oh, I... I have fridge friends. Remember hearing that comment? You guys, you guys heard it from someone else. And so like there's a balance of fridge friends and then someone that just comes over at all the time, let's say, mm-hmm. or a codependent in the sense that you're always saving them from something or saving them from this. What is there unhealthy hospitality? Like basically, let's say you and your wife never have time to talk or you never have time to have a family meeting with your kids or with someone. So is there a point where it becomes unhealthy? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, hospitality by nature is 
the other person's best interest in mind. And if so, somebody is coming over and all the time they're in your home, that's not healthy for them because they're not cultivating um, actually holistic relationships. It's also not healthy for your, your marriage, for your family. And so the hospitable thing to do is to set limits on that and say, we love you and, and we are so glad that you feel free to come in here and we want you to be here, but we, we've got to put some limits on this because, because my family and I, we need time to be together and you need time to cultivate outside relationships more than just us. So consider being a part of this group or something like that. And that's a hospitable thing to say. I think that's completely fair. Mm-hmm. I've definitely been in that situation yeah. before myself. So last question, yeah. not lightning round because you'll never be able to answer it in 30 seconds, but I figured we could close with this question. Um, can you speak to the potential vulnerabilities or risks involved in practicing hospitality and how do we navigate those with wisdom? I mean, at some point, people are going to take advantage of you. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think... And, and we have to rise to say, I, I'm, that's not necessarily okay, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is I think like a lot of times we can program hospitality out of ourselves because we can, we're like, well, I did that once and now I'm out X amount of dollars or I'm out mm-hmm. this much time or, you know, different things like that. Um, and so I think... I forgot your question as I was answering. Wait, wait, wait. So, so potential vulnerabilities or risks yeah, with so that, practicing that's hospitality. The, yeah, so that's the risk is is being hurt or taken advantage of. Um, but I don't necessarily think that should stop us from being hospitable. I mm-hmm. mean, if you just look at Jesus's life, he took a lot of time and was hospitable to a lot of people that just got up and walked away. Yeah. He helped a lot of people that never followed him. Mm-hmm. And so... I think and then betrayed we, him. Yeah, so I think we have to kind of understand. I th- I think also it's flawed because we can tend to be hospitable in the way that I know somebody's going to be hospitable back to me. And so when that doesn't happen, then we shut down. And so I think... When it's mo- not reciprocated. Yeah, so I think the motivation of hospitality needs to be pure in the sense of I'm just helping a person or I'm I'm walking with a person. I'm not looking for something in return. Um, to kind of prevent some of that hurt. It still hurts, but it's not going to stop us from being hospitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mean we have to have unconditional love for others? Like, <laughs> look our, at that, like our look savior? At his, he's yeah. like, that was where I was going, the <laughs> yeah, unconditional exactly. love part. That was yeah, good, exactly. Good so I think, I think that's what's so important. And I'm so glad for this conversation. Uh, I hope you guys like the lightning round. I may yeah. bring that back someday. Yeah, bring it so, back. Um, but thank you for watching with us. It's a good time to, to close here. Uh, we are excited you're with us at Church Unscripted. So make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell, like, leave some comments. Maybe you want a question for the lightning round. So you can put that down in the comments below for us for next week. Um, we're going to be continuing the table series on Sunday morning. So we're excited you're here with us and we'll see you next week.